Welcome to Dragon Talk. Hello, yes, Dragon yes, yes. Talk. Very exciting. Yeah. For the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast to begin. Yes. I'm Greg Tito. I'm Shelly Mazanoble. And here we are yet again for our 302nd <laughs> interview. I like that we now have a counter. I know. Now we know. Episode 302, baby. That's it. We are yes. rocking it out. We I have are. a wonderful interview to present to you, as does Shelly. <laughs> we got Max McCall and James Wyatt to talk about Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, a Magic the Gathering set that is coming on July 22nd. And it is going to blow your minds. Yeah. The combination of chocolate and peanut butter is magnifique. It is quite impressive and really interesting. The story of how it was designed, developed, conceived, all that good stuff. It involves whiteboards, a lot of, a whiteboards. Lot of whiteboards. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. so many notes. And I think we get it to the heart of it in this interview about how interesting it was to take things that are familiar to D&D fans and translate them into uh, magic mechanics and artwork and, uh, you know, in that format. And I think, you know, it reinforms some of, you know, what makes things interesting for Dungeons & Dragons fans. Yeah. Um, and I, I love that they kind of organically got out the uh, idea about playing in the commander format, which is something that I have never played uh, anything in Magic the Gathering before, but it sounds very much from what I've seen on, on online as well as uh, how both Max and James describe it, kind of a, a mashup of what we used to think of Magic, which was a very competitive game, and the cooperative, more uh, casual nature of, of Dungeons & Dragons and bringing them together. And so those of you uh, who are hardcore D&D fans out there and uh, have not found a format to love about Magic the Gathering, I think them the way they describe Commander and some of the great uh, Commander decks and cards within um, this set for Adventures of the Forgotten Realms might be a great way to jump into it for, for your D&D group. I agree. Yeah. Uh, fun fact. Yes. Um, did you know that when I was hired at Wizards 397 years ago, <laughs> I was hired to work on magic? Yes, That's I did where that. That was my entry into Wizards of the Coast. Magic the Gathering Promotions Coordinator. I had no idea what I was doing. Wow. You coordinated some promoting. I did. Um, but magic was very, very confusing. Very a totally what? different game than anything I had ever experienced in my life before. Magic. Oh. Yeah. It was, it, was, not... it was a gateway for you. Yeah. And it was also still pretty new back then. But um, yeah, it was fascinating how like these are cards. These cards are not just cards. These cards do... Lots of things. And also there's a story here as well. Games yeah. with stories. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, we kind of take for granted how much work, you know, the small cards do. Um, yeah. Both in, in visual uh, with the artwork. I mean, you know, they mentioned it in this interview, but as how much like volume of artwork is created for each magic set is is huge when you really think about it. Yeah. Um, and then, the right, the storyline that's told in piecemeal. Right, it's not like you're getting a, a, a story that you can read beginning to middle and end. Even though they do uh, have a lot of wonderful uh, short stories and fiction set in the Magic: The Gathering universes, um, it's like little pieces and details that you learn slowly, and then 
perhaps holistically, you can come up like, oh, this is the, the feel and the theme uh, for the set. And for this one, for Adventures of the Forgotten Realms, it is telling what's exciting about D&D in a magic format. And it's really cool to, to behold. And they've been spoiling lots of cards. We talk about a few of those uh, in here. And there's even more information out there now for uh, you to check out. And uh, I would just encourage D&D fans out there, uh, if you haven't jumped into magic for a while and have been itching to, man, this is the perfect set to do it. Oh, you are going to love it. Perfect. For sure. Yeah. All right. Well, and you'll find out, you know, in this interview, as well as at D&D Live coming up on July 16th and 17th at 12 noon p.m. You can watch D&D Live in many, many, many different ways, uh, but we'll be streaming it on uh, the D&D Twitch channel, the D&D YouTube channel. You can watch it on G4. You may even be able to watch it on Peacock, which oh is uh, the NBC Universal uh, app for watching all of their content. Uh, so, you know, it's crazy to think that D&D Live will live on the same platform as The Office and all the amazing uh, stuff that goes through and NBC. And also, The Real Housewives All-Stars also streaming on Peacock. That's what you... Yeah, there's an All-Star. They own well, the same thing? That it, there's an All-Star version now, uh, and that's on Peacock, not Bravo. So, yeah, D&D Live and The Real Housewives All-Stars. My worlds together. Um, can you be a star uh, of something like that? Yes, an all star. You've you've you're that terrible that you have risen above the other terrible people. But I mean, with, with like RuPaul's, uh, you know, drag. There's a competition, and they have the all star no. kind of setup. And so the idea is that like, oh, they they were they were yeah, like in competition, the, but there's no competitions. There's with, no competition. Well, it's to- it's all competition, but. <laughs> You, <laughs> they're pulling like the best of the best from each of the different franchises, and then they sent them to like Turks and Caicos for to like live in a house together for a week or something. Oh, so it's the real world too, kind of, time. yeah. And Big yeah. Brother, and yeah, nobody gets voted out though, so it's more. What's real the world. one with the social media one that we were talking? The, the circle, circle. It's yeah, like the circle, yeah. Uh, it's all combined, but yeah, I'm sure anyway. everyone here listening to will watch. Uh, both Housewives All Stars and D and D Live in split There's a big screen. overlap in audiences. I'm big, sure. big, big huge. <laughs> Almost as much overlap as Magic and D and D. Yeah, that you might be onto something for nice. sure. Yeah. Well, in any case, D and D Live will be available July 16th and 17th, starting at 12 noon. Uh, and there's so many ways to watch. It's going to be super convenient for all of our fans out there, especially uh, the Housewives fans. Um, and <laughs> There's going to be so much more information about the Wild Beyond the Witchlight, Strixhaven, A Curriculum of Chaos, uh, Dark Alliance, uh, and the amazing plans they've got for uh, support for that post-release because it is out now. Dark Alliance is available everywhere with uh, the ability to jump in and play as one of the Companions of the Hall. You can play as Drist. Everyone likes uh, uh, Bob Salvatore's favorite uh, Dark Elf. Not to mention Brunor Battlehammer, Wolfgar, Caddy Bree. You can play as any one of those. They all have different moves and abilities uh, to kick as much ass in Icewind Dale and uh, get all the monsters loot. Uh, drop in, drop out. It's supposed to be just as fun as, uh, and casual of a uh, play experience as you can get. Uh, and it's available now. So go check it out. Bash some monsters uh, as you get ready for your D&D session, perhaps. Yes, let's do it. And you know what? I have something. What? If you want to maybe look good for your D&D sessions. Mm -hmm. Did you know that there is an actual Dungeons and Dragons t-shirt club? 
like a subscription club. Whoa. So there is, and it's through our friends at Amazon. So amazon.com slash D&D t-shirt club. You can sign up for a D&D subscription where they will send you an exclusive D&D t-shirt every month. Sweet. I know. Like, how cool is that? And they're, they're really cool. Um, they don't, sh- they're not showing you like, oh, this is going to be September's t-shirt. You just have to trust me because I actually got to see a sneak peek of some of them. Super cool. Uh, and I think it's actually a really cool gift to give to your D&D playing friend or your dungeon master. Just like, I've signed you up for the subscription. Who doesn't love t-shirts? So check that out, um, Amazon.com slash D&D t-shirt club, because I just really think that's kind of a fun, uh, cool gift for yourself or for your friend. What a great gift to get for anybody, yeah. I mean, Father's you have, Day a, birth- was just you have the a birthday. You have a birthday coming up. I, I do. I do indeed. I don't like to tell anyone about it, but I'm turning 430 years old. Oh, this is, that's, you know what the gift is for 430? T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> that so, was the uh, the hallmark <laughs> thing for it, right? That's what yeah. it is. Oh, it's my gosh. I'm signing you up right now. There you go. Thanks, Shelley. Look for a that. D&D t-shirt and a ring light on your porch. <laughs> <laughs> I need ring lights. Everybody ring loves lights. ring lights. Ring lights. Okay. Well, I am excited to talk to one of our wonderful colleagues, Mr. Dan Dillon. Uh, we rolled quite a few insight checks on him, one of which failed Critted. and one of which was a critical success. So yeah. you tell me which one was which. Not sure. I don't really know what to believe here. I don't know what to believe. He's such a nice person, though. He would never lie to us. See, that's what liars do. <sighs> Damn it. Well, let's give a listen to Dan uh, before we get to our interview with James Mads. Let's welcome Dan Dillon to Insight Check. Hi, Dan. Dan Hello. Dillon. Hey. Thanks so much for having me on. We are going to roll. I got a 20. No way. Hey. Tell us All right. everything. Okay. You need to tell us everything All of about the secrets. Yep. Every single thing that you're working on that hasn't been announced yet. Uh, nope. All right, here we Actually, go. Actually, no. Uh, just, no. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> he was ready. He was going to do it. He was that's Ray's job, it. but all right, we'll do it. <laughs> And it's our so, yeah, job you, to stop him. You, you've been working in, in tabletop RPGs for, for a long time. Uh, when, when did you begin? When do you think, what was your first thing that you published? Sure. Uh, so when I originally got my start was back in 2013 uh, when I started doing freelance work. And uh, I didn't actually start with Dungeons & Dragons. I started with other games first. And um, so, yeah, I was doing third-party publisher work for, uh, for some other games. Uh, I actually got into it by accident. Uh, a buddy of mine won a game design contest, and so he got to design an adventure for uh, another game's organized play program, and that just sort of launched him into talking to to other third party publishers, like Rogue Genius Games was the the one in particular, and uh, and he was putting together a plan on Facebook, and I was trolling him and jumping in with silly ideas and throwing it out. What if we did a golem made of eyeballs and it pulled the eyeballs out of people and healed itself? And and I just you know it's just being. Being a jerk, and uh, and he said, "All right, Dan, you need to 
shut up and understand that I'm going to steal all these ideas and put them in the book, or you need to come and write them in the book. And, oh. and that was kind of like a light bulb moment where I went, oh, I, I could do that. I could go write it in a book. Sure. <laughs> and what so were that you was, doing? Sorry. Was that? What were you doing at the time? Like in like, 2013, like, what oh, was your, uh, well, like what was my deal? At what the was time? your job? Like, yeah, uh, my job was stay at home dad at the time, actually. Oh, uh, yeah. Awesome. So when, when my son was born, uh, in 2009, uh, I quit my career at the time, which was in mental health, uh, and, uh, just went full-time stay at home parent. Nice. So, and I did that all the way up until I started freelancing in 2013. Wow. I want to be a stay at home parent. No, I don't. <laughs> It's a job. <laughs> uh, and that's probably a good reason why you were so good at coming up with all these horrific monsters. I had a lot of time to think. <laughs> no, I think it's because you had a lot of inspiration. <laughs> a lot of inspiration. You don't have a lot of time as a stay-at-home parent, let's be honest. That's true. Um, but that's that's awesome. So then, so your friend encouraged you to write for this book that they were working mm-hmm. on. Yep. And, and, uh, like, and that- this is a thing. I was like, this is a thing. Let's do it. So I did it. And, you know, with a couple of a couple of other friends. And then that turned into, we got some gigs with a few other publishers, one of those being Cobalt Press. And uh, when the open gaming license happened for fifth edition, I jumped into writing for that and haven't looked back ever since. So, yeah. Nice. Get to work with Wolfgang and all that fun yes. crew at Cobalt yes. Press. Yeah. Absolutely. There's Our- so many good people over there. I remember talking to Wolfgang after you accepted your job on the D and D team, and he, he was like, "I'm happy, but I'm sad." Oh <laughs> man, yeah. That, I tell you, that's my one kind of sad thing. Is like I don't get to work with Cobalt anymore, at least not directly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's great. He's great. Yeah. What were your What was your experience like in 2013 when you started writing? Uh, like, because it, it's a very specialized skill. It's not just like. I'm just going to write this thing. Like, mm-hmm. did you, like, what were some of the, the biggest things that you learned early on in your career that have still served you well today? Well, the big thing, the biggest thing is how different it is writing your own notes for your own, you know, game or table prep. Um, and because really game design was just kind of an extension of how I, how I DM'd games and how I, I created stuff for my own tables. Um, realizing your own personal shorthand and how much you fill in the gaps of your own writing and ideas. That is an eye opener and it is night and day creating something that you can boil down onto a page that anybody could pick up, understand what you mean and then use it versus, you know, whatever's in your notebook. Those are very different things. And, and that is uh, it takes a lot of practice and trial and error and learning from your mistakes to, to figure out how to do that well. And, and even then, after playtesting, you're like, oh, I thought I had it, but no, I guess uh-huh. I don't. People don't understand this sentence for whatever reason. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It's like, you know, I thought I had it, but, you know, enough people are saying, hey, we thought it worked this way. Clearly, I didn't write it well enough. And so that is that is the beauty of playtest and getting so many eyes on things. And, you know, which yeah. unearthed arcana, just, oh, so valuable. So yeah. when you started at, at D&D, when, what were the type of things that you started uh, working on? Um, I don't necessarily talk about products, but just like what, what kind of design and, and kind of things design. Were, you, were you doing? Sure. Uh, so the very first things I did, I jumped in initially on some pretty crunchy mechanics. Um, so I got to work on basically stat block and stat block adjacent things. I got to do magic items. Uh, I got to do some subsystems that you would, that you would see that show up in an adventure or in other products. 
Um, and I also got to pretty early on try my hand at uh, some world building and narrative work too. So I got to do a, a fairly good chunk of that right up front. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. <laughs> it was, it was a lot of fun. It still is. Um, and you know, my focus has primarily been on the, the, the mechanical side of things, a lot of player options, a lot of monsters, a lot of, uh, magic items and spells and, and villains and all of that fun stuff, but, uh, starting to, to branch out a little more into some of the more story crafting, which I'm really excited about. So with the stuff that you're working on mostly now, is it like you're coming up with the ideas, putting them out for playtesting, get taking that feedback and analyzing it and... Uh, yeah. or what does that look like? Uh, yeah, so it, you know, when we're on a project, I'll I'll get an assignment usually, and we'll be like, "Hey, Dan, here's a pack of uh, you know ten monsters that you need to design for this thing." And then the lead of that book will have a breakdown of what they want to see in those monster slots, and then I kind of just get to go. Sometimes I have a little bit more of a narrow. This is what we want this monster to do, and sometimes it's very generic. Like, here's an idea. Here's a rough challenge rating see what you can come up with that's cool. Uh, and so it kind of runs the gamut. Um, and then uh, for player-facing stuff, it'll be a little bit more focused. It'll be like, okay, here's a subclass that we want you to do. It's going to be for Ranger. It's going to, you know, we needed to hit these beats. We wanted to do this sort of thing. And so then I work on that. And then after I've created a draft, the team all gets into there and rips it apart, puts it back together and, and makes it just better and better from the ground up. And uh, then it goes out to the public for Unearthed Arcana. And that's where we really get to, to separate the wheat from the chaff and, and see what's going to hopefully maybe someday make it into a book. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. What, what are some things, not, not spoiler, like things that, that exist currently that you worked on that you're very excited about or for D&D? Sure. Um, well, most recently, uh, several of the monsters in Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. Uh, my Ooh. favorite in there is probably the Luguru, the, the legendary big sort of lord-level werewolf. Uh, that one was super fun to work on. That's a Dan um, Dillon special right there? I did the draft. Yep, that was All that right. was one of my drafts. And uh, and then the team gets a hold of it, and, and everybody gets to weigh in and... Uh, pick up any of the places where maybe I missed the mark and sand the edges down and just make it better and better. And, uh, and so it turned out great. I'm really proud of that scary, scary monster. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I just heard, oh, we have a goblin. A, I just yeah. heard a, uh, a story about actually uh, one of our coworkers, Tamor is running a game and his entire party got cursed with lycanthropy fighting a Luguru. So that is going to be delightful. <laughs> I can't wait to hear Ooh, how that goes good. down. That's good. Yeah. I just saw that on the uh, on the Twitters as well. Mm -hmm. Very exciting. Um, I love that dynamic though you're describing of like you, you write this thing in 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 private, you know, or at least mm -hmm. alone, and then it becomes a a, a collaborative process afterwards. So oh, yeah. how, how does that, you know, uh, yeah, talk a little bit more about that process if you can about like what's it like sure. to to have, you know, this room of people, almost like a writer's room from a TV thing, uh, yeah. you know, critique and and make the the whatever you're drafted better. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes we'll we'll write our drafts kind of in our own little little nooks, and then we'll kind of bring them together in a meeting, and uh, we'll put them up, and everybody can get in there and add their comments and suggest changes, that sort of thing. Uh, sometimes we'll also do jam sessions where several designers will get together on a on a meeting call, and and we'll just kind of riff the ideas in real time. Uh, oh, so even even sometimes, yeah, it's great. <laughs> sometimes at the draft level, it's not it's not one person's work, but it's, it's a team coming together to even just start laying the foundation for it. So it is, um, 
amazing having this collaborative atmosphere to be able to draw on the experience and the creativity and the skill of all of these different people who are working on the design team. Um, I, th everything we put out is so much better for having all of these people able to bring their focus into it and, and just uh, help kind of just lift each other's work up. Oh, it's a dragon talk. We like lift to lift it all up. up. Yeah. Do yeah, you ever feel like it's done as a game designer? Are you like, oh, yeah, cannot make this better? Or are you like, are you ever scared to like open up Van Richten's guide and be like, I don't want to read what I published because I know I could have done better. There will always be something you see and you're like, ah, like any writer. If I, if I, you know, oh, I just, you know, in the shower this morning, I could have done it this way. And, yeah. you know. That, that happens everything to everything, to every bit of text in every book ever written in the world. Uh, but one of the go. things I learned early on is that perfect is the enemy of done. You strive for the highest quality bar that you can, but yes. you do have to give yourself that. At, at some point, it does need to be done. You can't just keep iterating on it. You've got to hit the goal you set out for and, and then be comfortable with that and move on to the next step of the process. And that that's, step might, might lead advice. to more revision, like playtest. So, you know. yeah. Yeah, I think it was it's a I forget what director it was, but it's basically said that no film is ever completed; they're just abandoned. Right. <laughs> yep. Same deal. Same deal. There, there is that feeling often. Yeah. yeah. Like, this is all I can do. Tinker, it's, tinker, you know, tinker. Ninety-five percent there, Alfred Hitchcock. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll take ninety-five. Heck yeah. For sure. Uh, so I, I, I think this is true, but you're a dungeon master, uh, yes. probably more than a player, uh, uh, right? In general, sort of on the whole, yes, very true. This past year, not so much. I've actually gotten to step back from the DM screen a bit and be more of a player than I ever have oh. uh, before. Um, but it, you know, big picture. Yeah. Very much a DM. What Why? are you, uh, what are you playing in right now that you're excited about? Ooh, sure. Uh, so... Well, all right. So the one I'm DMing right now, I just said I'm a player. No, I'm going to talk about the one I'm DMing. Uh, so I'm, I'm actually, I'm DMing a uh, Descent into Avernus campaign for two friends of mine. Oh, yeah. You got to tell uh, us for, the truth, Dan. Yeah, I do. I do. For two friends of mine who I uh, used to play D&D &D with in second edition in high school. And they hadn't Aww. played since, you know, we all kind of went our separate ways. And got them back in. We're playing over Zoom every week and they jumped back into it like fish to a pond and they have had some of the just the best wildest ideas and it's come up with some of the, you know, I'm, I'm it's so much that I'm sharing it on Twitter sometimes when, when they're doing whatever it is they've come up with doing. The last thing they did is they were playing, um, uh, they were playing dice for soul coins in Avernus <laughs> in, in, uh, in Infernal Rapture. Uh, yeah, so that's been an absolute blast. Just getting to reconnect with uh, two of my very best friends in the world over D&D again. And uh, yeah, it, it's been fantastic. That's awesome. Now, as a player, uh, I'm playing a Goliath Warlock using one of the, the subclasses out of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, I'm playing the Fathomless. So uh, we're playing in a Rime of the Frostmaiden campaign, but it's high level. We started the campaign at oh. 11, which is usually where it ends. So the DM has been doing heavy homebrew, uh, messing with it, just taking the book as a starting point and then doing his own thing with it and uh, bringing it up to the level of the PCs. And that's actually a live stream game, which has been a lot of fun to play. And uh, it's a very different environment when you're playing, knowing you have an audience and sort of playing up that aspect to it, trying to be as interesting as you can be 
rather than getting stuck in the nitty gritty of, you know, I roll, I hit damage, move on, you know, that sort of thing. Right. Having a lot of yeah. fun with the, the narrative and narration of it. That's always a fun uh, contrast when we talk to people who are known for being streamers, right? Like how it's, it's more performance, you know, and you want to make sure you're, you're entertaining all the time. That's not always true yeah. when you're playing with your friends or just, you know, trying to, trying to BS uh, in the night. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it, every role-playing group has the, uh, just that sort of trope of going way off topic, <laughs> probably way more than people like to think about. You got to try and curtail that when you have limited time slot and, you know, people are watching you spending their precious time you know, hanging out with you for some entertainment. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad that you get uh, the chance to do it, you know, not on, on camera as well. So that's yeah. uh, a great time. I'm glad you're able to reconnect with your friends. That's such a I fun know, that's so cool. Yeah, too. Uh, it's been great. Do they miss Thacko? <laughs> uh, they do not. They do not. They are all in on fifth edition, and yeah. they uh, they are loving just sort of the innovations and the design direction, the evolution of the game, and they just they're they're breathing this stuff. We have a we have a, a, a group text thread that is jumping every day of the week between game nights. <laughs> That's awesome. That's yeah. so cool. Does it just feel like like old times? Like like no oh, yeah. time has passed. Immediately, no time has passed. We're we're right back together, hanging out, and yeah. Were you the dungeon master for back then too when you guys played I, together? Kind of rotated, kind of yeah. rotated. Uh, I did. Um, I had access to a lot more published material, particularly after I moved away. I would go back in the summers to visit because uh, I, I moved halfway through high school. And um, so I would bring all of the old dungeon magazines with me and then would just run adventures out of there for, you know, get everybody around the table in the living room. And we'd just do however many of those we could get in in a week on a summer summer vacation visit. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it was a Feels nostalgic now, right? Let's, yep. uh, let's bring sure that back, does. everybody. Yeah. yeah. Let's do it. I was just thinking, like, I want my son to have a summer like that. I just I want yeah. a bunch of kids in the basement playing D&D. Yep. Just because there's no room in the living room. I'm not putting them in the basement, you know. Wherever so it's works. like we're near play D and D. Put them in the attic. <laughs> Nothing weird Wherever they there. want, they can be outside. They can be anywhere. Just yeah. <laughs> well, that's great, Dan. I mean, you've been a uh, wonderful smiling face when we were back in the office uh, uh, working on Dungeons and Dragons, and I'm ha- I'm yeah. glad to be able to get to see it here. Yeah, I'm delighted to get to hang out with you guys again. Good to see you. I'm going to see if anything you said was. A- oh, I rolled a one. So oh, I believe everything you said. Well, we'll, we just, we'll just have you. to see how it plays out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Dan, how, if people wanted to follow along with the stories you're telling about D&D uh, and your campaigns, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. Uh, so that's on the Twitter. I'm at Dan underscore Dylan underscore one. Number one. Dan's number one. Number one. <laughs> <laughs> just remember that. This, apparently, there's a lot of us out there on Twitter, so... <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's a whole new campaign that you'll be pitching uh, to the design team of how all, to destroy all the Dans. All the, the Dan villains yeah. against each there other. There can be only one. Destroy <laughs> Dan Dillon. Highlander. Dan's right. must die. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Uh, hopefully we'll see you in the office soon. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're getting, we're getting back to, to something resembling a new normal. So fingers crossed. Looking forward to it. Me too. I believe him. Do you believe him? I don't know if I do. I believe every word. All right. Well, I did roll a one, so my wisdom check is very much like, "Mm." meh, meh, 
Mm-hmm. I well, believe I, everyone Maybe we should have rolled with advantage. Oh, because there's two of us. Yeah. And you were helping me, I guess. I was. Just, yeah, we could say that. I could make that yeah. happen. Fun. Um, but uh, the Magic the Gathering team has rolled a critical success by grabbing these two folks and putting them together uh, as just part of the team that worked on Adventures of the Forgotten Realms. So let's talk to them now. Okay. Everyone, let's welcome James Wyatt and Max McCall to Dragon Talk. Yay! Yay! Woohoo! Very excited to have you here again, James. It's been a long time since we uh, chatted with you about fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Max, we're excited to yeah. meet you for the first time on Dragon Talk. Uh, so let's start with you. What uh, what has, is your personal history with uh, Magic the Gathering, but then also around this awesome set that's coming out, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, uh, July 22nd? Yeah, so I am on Magic's product strategy team where I've been working for the last year or so. So I was the set architect for Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, kind of weaving together all the disparate work that all of our teams did to bring Adventures to the Forgotten Realms to fruition. Uh, before that, I've been playing Magic and Dungeons and Dragons all my life. So this was very exciting opportunity to bring both of those together into one to one set. Man, your enthusiasm is palpable. <laughs> I I can feel the enthusiasm. I think that you, Max, actually represent a lot of people in the community that have been playing D&D and Magic maybe nearly all their lives or a big chunk of their lives. And I think this is a long time coming. I mean, we've, we've dabbled in bringing uh, D&D into, uh, bringing Magic into D&D with our source books and all, but we haven't explored D&D in an actual Magic set. And I can only imagine that without the help of James Wyatt, who is here in this interview, so he must have had something to do with it. <laughs> It would be a beast of a project. But James, what what did you have to do with this? So I was the creative lead for the Adventures in the Forgotten Realms set, which um, for a normal magic set means sort of uh, kicking off the, the world-building process. A lot of that work was done for us, although we did do a, a, a magic scale world guide for the Forgotten Realms, um, highlighting places and races and classes um the the actual job of making the cards creatively was pretty easy because the whole set design team was deeply invested in D&D and um, had a lot of clear ideas about um, the parts of D&D that they wanted to shine through in the cards. So I got those designs and said, yep, that's good, and wrote an art description of the thing that they wanted it to be in many cases. And... Um, Worked with a team to put names and flavor text on all the cards and made it a thing. Um, you, in that answer, have touched on like three questions that I have. I actually have so many questions about this that I've written them down, um, which I very seldom do. <laughs> uh, but you, okay, first question. Like we have talked a little bit here on Dragon Talk to like uh, our game designers and all about the design and development timelines. And it. I think people are often surprised by how long it takes to write a book and publish a book. 
But I think they would be even more surprised to know how long it takes to make a full set of magic. I, or maybe not. But what, what are those timelines? Like, are you guys racking your brain right now trying to remember anything that you did on this set because it was so long ago? Yes. Maybe, Max, you can probably speak to that. Yeah. I was actually on the card design team for Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. And between the pandemic and everything else, I, I don't remember how long ago <laughs> that was. But maybe, maybe some context might help. Uh, right now, one of the sets I'm working on, Marathon, will release in late 2023. So we're, we're working oh very far in advance of the release dates of everything. I'm actually that. opening up my, my other computer to look at file dates and see how long ago this was. I mean, I, I was doing creative text for this set last October when I had just moved back from the Magic team to the D&D team. Um, nice. Doing con- art concepting in like June of last year. But I have a In file. order to even get to that phase. Yeah, I, I have a file of, have been... of design ideas from July 2019. So two years. Two years. Okay. Well, I guess that doesn't seem like that long considering like how many cards are in a set and how much play... T- how long is the playtesting period for an average set? Many months broken out yeah. into many phases. Um, for for magic sets, there's a, there's a couple of different stages of development. There's the exploratory design phase, which for Adventures in the Forgotten Realms is basically okay. We're going to make a D and D set. What does that mean? What do we mm-hmm. What do we definitely want to include? Um, what do we definitely not want to include? And and so on. And then the the vision design team sort of takes what the exploratory team came up with and says, okay. We know what we're going to do and not do. Let's explore some options for those that might work. And then they identify the the stuff that they think is going to be the most fun and sort of let us make the most robust and immersive set possible. And then they hand it off to the set design team, which is the team that actually starts making the cards that will be in the final product, creating the draft formats, making sure the cards are fun to play with and all of the constructed formats and and the set design team meets, I think for eight months in two periods, like one of five months and one of three months. And then in addition to that, there's some time for our whole play design team, which is an entirely separate team to play with the set for several months to make sure that it is fun. Oh, it's a lot. Uh, that is a lot. That is a lot, a lot. Um, James, you mentioned previously that you were, it was like uh, trying to figure out what elements are going to go into the set. And you kind of almost made it sound like it was easy because everybody was fully invested in D&D and magic and all. But was that truly easy? I was looking at Max's face when, when you were saying that. And he was nodding. So, um, but I, I, I can't wrap my brain around how you can take one game and port it into a very different game and yet you still have man and I'm saying this because I've seen what I've seen and you've managed to do it but how did you manage to keep the essence of Dungeons and Dragons but while playing Magic? So there's a a couple of things Um, first of all it wasn't really easy because like 
I was joking with <laughs> Jules Robbins, who was the, the lead set designer on it, about how many whiteboards we filled up with lists of the, you know, the the essential elements of D&D that we want to make sure we capture in the set. And it's more than there are cards in the set. Um, and more than that. So there's, there's kind of two aspects to it. One mm-hmm. is the the IP of D&D, the world of the Forgotten Realms that that is the setting for um, this card set. And, you know, one way to think about it would be we did um, re- Battle for Zendikar, in 2015, 2014. Um, that is a magic set set in the world of Zendikar and the card set tries to convey the nature of this world. So at, at one level, Adventures of the Forgotten Realms is trying to convey the world of the Forgotten Realms um, just as we would a magic world. But there is another level to it, which is the experience of playing D&D, which is slightly different than the experience of exploring the Forgotten yeah. Realms. Um, and so... For that reason, there's things in the set that have you roll a 20-sided die. There's things like um, innkeepers where, you know, that that would be a background part of any world. But because the tavern experience is so fundamental to many people's experience of of sitting down at the table and playing D&D, that's something that's reflected in the card set. Um, So trying to hit both of those notes, both here's this awesome fantasy world and here's this crazy game that you've played that you resonate with um, at a, a different level uh, was a, a fun balancing act. Yeah. I what were some so. of those um, there, whiteboard things that were like, here's the tenets of things that we want to get in Did D&D. you take pictures? I probably took pictures. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Max? Do you remember any of those uh, top-level things that you were like, gosh, we got to make sure we include this because they won't feel complete without it? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, you've got to, you know, the the classic tavern bounties, you know, go out of town and clear out this dangerous monster. Um, there's got to be dragons. There's got to be dungeons. There's got to be ancient wizards in forgotten towers. There's got to be treasure. Um, the, the, D&D's history is so rich that, like, basically anything in any of the core rule books is is not only fair game, but it's something where it's like, oh, people expect there to be a wizard and a sorcerer, and they expect to have a bag of many things, and they expect to see every monster in the monster manual. Um, and the monster manual is like 300 pages or something, and there's only 260 cards in the set. So the the real trouble is we've got we've got these whiteboards full of everything. What do we what do we pick? What's what's the most exciting what's the best uh transposition from D to magic now i really want to see the, the magic item a bag of many things i think that's yeah, the bag of holding and the deck of many things combined and now i'm like oh my god that's gonna be amazing it's genius one of the things that that experience really highlights is how everybody's experience of D is different like things yeah. that that some people on the team felt were essential and iconic i'm like yeah, that that's really a a new thing that we just added in like Volo's Guide to Monsters. Not really central to the the D and D experience, but for people who started playing more recently than I did, that's like yeah, that that's a huge part of their experience with D and D. Well, that's interesting. Trying to trying to make sure that you are serving audiences that might have known Dungeons and Dragons and Magic for you know all these years, but then also there's a larger audience of. 
D&D players, uh, as we know, that just have come in through 5th edition and really understood uh, the ins and the outs of it. So yeah, that's going to have different, especially with the people on the team, uh, you know, different uh, different things for people who've been playing for for decades, perhaps. But I liked all the all the nods that I've seen so far with the preview cards to older lore. Mm-hmm. I think those have been really well done and translating, you know, things like Tiamat and uh, uh, um, all these iconic characters from the Forgotten Realms um, yeah. to a magic thing. So, King, I'd love to learn a little bit. Maybe this is one of your questions, Shelley. But how, how would you, how do you distill something like that, like a you know a, a five headed dragon queen? Um, into mechanics that would make sense uh, at a, at a, at a, in a magic duel. That is one of my questions. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I, Let's take that one. I will jump on that grenade. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to, to some extent, like you just did it, right? A five-headed dragon queen. Okay, we've got a five-color dragon who summons other dragons into play. That's mm. what her card does. Um because that is a, a distillation into magic mechanics of the core essence of her identity that you just threw out in those five words. Yes, I saw that preview card and I said, I'm sure they play tested this, but that seems really powerful. But it's been a while since I've played magic, so maybe summoning five dragons into your deck's not that big of a deal, but it seemed like it, it's a very powerful card. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's gonna, a big deal. Yeah, the TMA is a big deal. So right. I was very glad to see her showing up. Uh, and then I had another question about the the basic lands because they have also been flavored um, with locations in within the Forgotten Realms. Can you is that true, or can you explain how how the, the uh, land cards have been D and ified So um, yeah. Oh, go on. Th- there's two two answers to that question. Sort of one is that. Um, as part of the world guide creation process, we did work with artists to get sort of an established book for certain locations within the realms. So those are reflected in the art on the land cards. But then we did something we've never done in a magic set before and put flavor text on the land cards, um, which are basically adventure hooks. And we explored a number of different iterations of what that might, might look like. But but theoretically, if you were a DM, you could take a little pack of 20 land cards and have a random adventure generator in your hands where you say, okay, here's your hook for what you're doing next. Um, there's a weird energy coming out of the Underdark. So let's see, we did, uh, there's 20 land cards in the set. We did one of each land type that is set in the Underdark. We did one of each land type that is sort of a, a settlement um, of some kind. And then one that's just really wilderness and one that's ruins, I think, something like that. So reflecting this, the spectrum of what you'll find in the Forgotten Realms. But it's that amazing is- how yeah, much... Yeah, I, I really like those. Go ahead. It's amazing. Oh, go on. Oh, I was, <laughs> I was just going to say, say I, it's I amazing really how much... Um... all the... Vin- <laughs> go for it, Max. You got you exactly the wrong amount of latency. It's perfect. <laughs> He's drinking water. I was going to say, uh, I, I really love all the vignettes that all of the basic lands tell. Like, uh, whenever you're playing a game, like your, your lands are just telling you a different story every time, which I really enjoy, especially while my opponent is thinking and I have nothing to do. So, oh. there, you know, there's, there's kind of a 
a lot of stuff in the set that's like that, where there's a lot going on where we included a love letter to D&D and did stuff that we think is cool. Like, we're not going... It's not a gigantic selling point of the set of, like, the basic lands have flavor text, and there's a lot of cards that kind of present you with choices of, like, what you would do if you came to a river or saw something on watch or something like that. But they're just cool, and they reflect what the experience of D&D is or can be or, like, the collective storytelling that we're all engaging in. And so that's that's really what the set is for and why I really like it. I like yeah, that, too. It's cool that the idea of actually taking something from the, the from Adventures in the Forgotten Realms and actually using it in your D and D game is very cool. I don't know if that was something that just is like a side effect of the cool stuff you were already doing, or if you went into it thinking about ways that you could actually pull Adventures in the Forgotten Realm into D and D tabletop. Was that a design tenant? It's mostly a side effect. But I mean, the the core design intent behind having the the flavor text there was um, to make the make the basic lands inspiring. Um, what I was going to say earlier is, you know, basic lands are are the most basic building block of any magic set. They they usually don't warrant a lot of thought, but it's really cool to me how we're able to communicate so much about the world and the game of D and D on these. Um, I don't want to say throwaway cards, but that's the only word coming to my mind. <laughs> These very, um, very basic, basic lands, you know. And you've been doing that a lot, James, with your work uh, in the Plane Shift articles, uh, you know, as well as things of taking things that are, you know, small flavor text throughout all the sets over the last few years and then grabbing that and turning it into something that D&D players could then uh, play with. And, and, and in many ways... Your work has been the foundation upon which, uh, you know, Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica coming out, Theros, and even the Adventures in the Forgotten Realms coming together. Um, so, you know, I think we have you to thank for mixing this chocolate and peanut butter together. <laughs> thank you, James. Okay, I'll take that. Um, you're welcome. <laughs> Because you you've been at Wizards long enough where there was there was there was we can never put chocolate and peanut butter together. They should not be together. I remember that. Um and, yeah, story, and I think I've, you very been, quickly just were like, here's here's why that's not true. I'm gonna challenge that axiom <laughs> with, didn't do uh, very with these much to challenge it. It's funny. So I mean uh, one of the funny things I remember when I first started working at Wizards in two thousand. Um, I remember some discussion about doing a D&D monster book of um, of magic monsters. Um, and that that was killed at the brand level at some point um, early on. And from that point, I remember the, the very clear doctrinal stance of we don't cross the streams, we don't mix things, mix the brands. Um, but the, then the, the other part of the story that I tell is when I did Plane Shift Zendikar, I got a brand manager on my side and we walked around the fourth floor and we couldn't find anybody to say no. Like that, that <laughs> institutional knowledge had, had faded away. Had left the building. The, the stance had softened. So it's not like I had to, to fight for it really. I just, I, I, I looked and I couldn't find anybody to tell me not to do it. So we did it. Um, but it, it's, it's super fun for me. I, I spent uh, six years on the magic team as a little detour in my career. And I started off that time working on um, the Zendikar art book 
and the plane ship Zendikar supplement that when it came out with it and then ended that time with Adventures, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. So I feel like I came full circle. I did what I uh, set out to do in a way that I had no intention of doing at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's good to be back on the D&D team now. It's yeah. good to have you back. It's exciting. And I think some, in some ways that institutional knowledge spread out into the fandom too like where i think fandoms were just like oh that's just not what what they're gonna do ever and so when you started doing those things it was this i I remember this news cycle just being like oh is this something that's gonna be something to experiment with and what's gonna end up and i think adventures of the forgotten realms is i wouldn't say necessarily a culmination but it does feel like the 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 crossing the rubicon moment where where uh, you know, D and D is firmly in the magic multiverse, and 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 vice versa. And I think that's really awesome. And I think there is only more, you know, more to, more to come along those lines. And, um, you know, let me ask this question of you, Max. Like, how how could you see things? Uh, I, I'm not asking you product stuff in the future, but just like, you know, what what are what are some things that you could see now being open to to both designers on both teams? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot that we can do right um in in a lot of ways not doing D and magic together for such a long time i think sort of set the fan expectation of well if they were going to do that surely they would have done it by now hmm. and it's the, the main thing about it is it, it really is just cool to be able to bring elements of great games together in ways that it makes sense for for both games, right? Like, magic is a game about magic and discovering new planes and new worlds and new characters. And there's just a lot of natural, um, like that's just very much also what Dungeons and Dragons is about. And so it's 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 as part of kind of filling up all the whiteboards in the building. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that we know we can do now and there's a lot of space we know we didn't mine with adventures in the forgotten realms and based on kind of the reactions we're seeing it it sounds like that's the kind of thing that people are excited to see more of and and, and we're we're excited to make things that people are excited to see more of right um it's this is not to say that like the the nature of the cosmology is kind of fuzzy right the the short version is that you know, we made the Planeswalker card, but she's not going to feature in magic fiction. Magic Planeswalkers aren't going to, like, randomly show up um, in, uh, you know, the next D&D adventure module. But, um, you know, we can tell stories with those characters on magic cards in, way that's, in ways that are cool and true to the spirit of those characters. And, you know, it's it's really easy to take the worlds that magic builds and make D&D source books out of them. Like the Guild Master's Guide to Ravnica is, is super cool, right? Ravnica is this, um, a different plane in magic that's just one gigantic city. And that's a fantasy trope that's actually not super widely explored. And so it's really fun for the D&D team to be able to play with that. You know, like there's all these different factions and there's a lot of intrigue and there's a lot you can do to build a campaign in a setting like that. And so we're just kind of always looking for more ways to do cool things. And so this, that's what we're doing with Adventures in the Forgotten Realms and what we're kind of looking at for the future. I like that a lot. 
It reminds me of, uh, I just, before I get, I want you to ask your question. So the, the chocolate and peanut butter, butter metaphor, I can't put down because it sounds like you're, you're like candy makers now. And you're like, oh man, how many other ways can we put chocolate and peanut butter and cookie crunch and caramel yeah. put together? Put pretzel in there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and pretzel mm-hmm. to make a take five, to make a Kit Kat. You know, like I feel like there's, there's so much more uh, possibilities now. And I'm hungry. So yep. go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> you never got your soup. So I never got my soup. Now we're gonna go talk about candy. <laughs> you mentioned Max. Um, the fan reactions have been positive, but it just digging a little bit more to that. What what have you seen from the community? Um, hooray! Let's do this. Yeah, or, or, I mean, there, there's what's what are they most excited about? Yeah, I, mean, for, I was I would say by and large. You know, people are excited to see their favorite D and D characters on Magic cards. Um, the the overlap between the Dungeons and Dragons audience and the Magic audience is very large. And one of the things that's unique to both, relatively unique to both games, is that they have a really long and rich history. Right? It's unusual for a gaming property to have twenty years of history, and Magic and D and D both have more. And so, you know, people, like. People read about um, just Jordan when you know they were a lot younger, and that one of the classic fantasy characters in their minds. And seeing him on a seeing him on a card is really exciting. Seeing Gwen Hoyvar, um and all of his companions is something people are excited about. People are excited to see the magic gods. Sorry, the D the D and D gods on magic cards. Magic has magic's put other gods on magic cards. Um, from its own from its own cosmology and people are excited they want to see how it'll be different they want to see how it'll be the same they want to see what planeswalkers look like when they're D characters and not magic characters and talk about what implications that might have for their their own campaigns or their own storytelling that's super cool uh during our um 300th uh special episode we spoiled two cards from this set the flump and uh, Tasha's hideous laughter, and I want to kind of talk about those a little bit, since you know some of this audience might might have seen those and want to ask questions. Um, and they're a good representation of like monsters and spells that that got translated into uh, this set. So the flump is interesting to me because they're a good aligned uh, uh, monster uh, from the Underdark. They usually. Uh, can be used as as the, one of the sole bright spot uh, in these underground caverns, and they're a white creature uh, here, and I think that makes a lot of sense. So yeah, I see you uh, smiling, James. Did you, um, you know, have anything to say about the flump and how it was like translating something like that to to a magic card? I, I'm actually laughing about Tasha's laughter. Um, oh, <laughs> that one's good too. Because when I was concepting the set, writing the art descriptions, uh, I got to that card and I went and I asked my daughter, who's 24, I said, what's the funniest creature you can imagine casting Tasha's, la- Tasha's hideous laughter on? <laughs> and she said, a Bahir. So that's where we ended up. Oh, nice. Huh. Um, but the flump, uh, the, the amusing thing I remember about that is getting the first sketch back. So here's actually an interesting thing um, about concepting the art for this set is most of the time when we do art for monsters in D&D, we're trying to, to really show you what the monster looks like in a, in a, a sort of illustrative way, like, almost like a scientific illustration, you know, so you can clearly see what the characters are going to be encountering. And when you're commissioning art for a magic set, what you're looking for is, is 
something that evokes what it feels like in its environment and what it's like when you encounter it. So like, I was super excited to commission Art of a Displacer Beast where we can actually see it displacing because we're not just showing you Displacer Beast in the abstract figure 1.3. We're showing you Displacer Beast in the environment and oh, it's weird and distorted. Um, So the flump was like that too. We actually showed it using its uh, reactive attack, which is spraying a cloud of um, noxious acid or something. Sometimes you don't realize when you're writing those art descriptions what it's going to look like when an artist renders it. And it came back looking really bad until we turned the flump around so you couldn't actually see it ejecting the spray. (laughs) That's all I will say about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My imagination Um, will fill in the gaps. Yes. Nice. Oh, what were you going to say, Max? Oh, I was Did going to say to perhaps best left to be mentioned. So I, there's a flump on my desk right now, and I was looking at it while James was talking. And then oh. the uh, oh. I, I started to see how the piece could be reimagined in a different way <laughs> and so forth. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the the, the flump is, is cool. It, it's one of the very few creatures that I was not familiar with from D and D, and so, but it's the kind of thing where it's like you you see it in the final, like what is that? And they're like, oh, it's an underdark jellyfish. What? <laughs> Tell me more, right? And th- that's that's cool too. Like you you you're getting to to deepen your connection with both games in a weird way that I would never have expected to learn about a new Dungeons and Dragons monster while working on a magic card set. Yeah, and that's hopefully what you know magic fans will get when they see that, and they'll be like, "What is that? I want to learn more." And like, well, there's a lot to learn about flumps. <laughs> They're fun, um, but I like also that they they are helpful in their mechanics, right? They, uh, I think the the things that it makes every player draw a card, uh, which feels very yeah. Much- whenever, whenever it's dealt damage, uh, you and target opponent, not necessarily the opponent who damaged it, draw a card. Ah, target opponent from. Yeah, so I like that too. Like that's really uh, interesting. Yeah, you can get kind of like political with. All right, so this person is attacking me. So let's you and me draw a card. Like you, Greg and I will draw a card, and we'll go get Shelley. Right? No, I'm the temerity. How dare you? No, you won't. No cards for you. <laughs> no, right? do not accept. But even that, uh, you know, the way you just mentioned political, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't consider that. But that is such a big part of what the flumps are, right? They're about like trying to uh, make peace where they can within the underdark, and can you know, oftentimes help adventurers uh, in that way. Uh, and they don't want to be known; they don't want to be seen, uh, and so they might give you information just so that you know the group of mind flayers down the road doesn't know that they're there uh, and that type of thing. And I think that's again a mechanic that is very simple, but uh, accomplishes the feeling of a flump. Uh, very well, and the same thing for for Tasha's hideous laughter. The mechanic there. Do you do you have that called up by any chance? Uh, I don't I have believe, that card on my. Tell. I believe that one was uh, you have to draw. You mill your a target player mills uh, up to twenty. Yeah, you mana run, cost. You mill cards until you've milled twenty mana value worth of cards. Which is a very uh, original. I, I don't think I've ever seen that number. Twenty feels like a lot. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, if your deck is all lands, it's, it just mills them all because uh, because lands don't have a mana value. So it, it um, 
it, it's a variable but large number in a way that's exciting. Like every time they they pull the next card off, it's like, ooh, let's keep going. Um, and and that's that's super fun. And it it's it's shockingly powerful in uh, formats where you don't have sixty cards in your deck. So like the, the Magic Draft formats, for example, uh, you know you could pretty easily mill twenty cards with Tasha's <laughs> Hideous Laughter, which is not a lot of cards left in your deck at that point. You run out of cards, you lose. So uh, it's it, it, it it's it's exciting and it's fun to resolve every time. Yeah. And I like that it's got a bit of chaos to it too, right? Where you don't you don't right. know what's going to happen. Yeah. You just know what's going to be bad, and it might even be funny, right? And that's right. <laughs> should result in some. You might even laughing. laugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, I will definitely be hideously laughing whenever right. I play that Ta- card. Tackling is required. <laughs> Luckily, cackling. Well, you got to have that role play. So. There you go. Um, so something that is inherent to D and D. And maybe not so much in magic, but is the collaboration working together? D and D, we come together and we accomplish a goal as a party. And magic, it's been a while, like I said, since I've played magic. But I remember people just really trying to kill me and um, take me down. Was there any uh, any way to like bring in that collaborate collaborative feeling? Is that just not even important? We've got D and D for that. Just curious if you thought of ways of doing that. Nope, we're not sure doing it. No, I was. I, <laughs> you got to call out who you're gonna ask. Like, I, I, I know. I was like looking to see if one somebody seemed like they were more excited about that question than the other. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think so. There's there's kind of a lot of levels to that, right? Um, the first, I think, is. You know, historically, I, I think both Magic and to a lesser extent D D were not terribly accessible to newer players. Like, if you weren't somebody who was already deeply steeped in being a nerd about whichever game, and you showed up to your local game store and you were like, "Hey, I, you know, kind of just want to play," that that was something that you know the the, the folks who were already there were kind of like, "Yeah, get out of here." Um, <laughs> and in both Magic and D and D, that we we've come a long way, right? Like. Both both communities are now much more welcoming than they've ever been because everyone realized, oh, we just want more people to play with. Um, and and Magic has actually embraced this, I think, the most. Like for a very long time, a big part of Magic's kind of organized play system was, okay, we're going to get everybody together and we're going to hold a bunch of tournaments and we're going to find out who the best Magic player is. And that's not how everybody wants to consume their card games. Um, some people just want to play and have fun and see see what can happen. And so we've got the commander format for that. And it, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms does have commander decks built with Adventures in the Forgotten Realms cards that are released releasing with this set um, that you can play with. And they're all themed around various things. And in those games, like you can do different ways to 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 be a party um the games typically aren't fully cooperative but in commander like everyone kind of implicitly understands that it's not very important who wins it's it matters like what stories you can tell about the game afterwards um Mm. 
And it's a lot easier to jump into a commander game than it is to jump into a managed tournament with people you don't know. Like you just show up to Greg's house and be like, hey, it's commander night. I brought um, soda and pretzels and and go. Um, for folks who, and then, I imagine there's, there's many people also, who are listening to this who, who, who aren't familiar with that format or maybe even haven't played Magic in years. So I know it's a relatively newer format. So what, what is Commander for, for the, the lay people, Dungeons & Dragons listeners? <laughs> yeah, so, so the, the um, I should start with the, the base version of the Magic card game is uh, you and your opponent play. And oh, yeah, I, I, I think yeah, more about the Commander. How, do, how does Commander work? Right. So in Commander, um, you you can play with any number of people, most often four or five are the best numbers, and you build a Commander deck, which is different from a Magic deck in a few ways. The first is that you have a Commander, and your Commander is um, the card that you kind of build the rest of your deck around. So for example, if Tiamat was your Commander in Adventures of the Realms, um, Tiamat it says put a bunch of dragons in your deck and then when you cast Tiamat, you can go get a bunch of dragons and put them into your hand so when you're building your Tiamat commander deck uh you build it differently than you might build your drizdorden commander deck um you know drizdorden is all about making driz like cards that would make him larger and more powerful and more um like more awesome and buffing up Drizzt. And the kind of magic deck you build with that is different from the kind of magic deck you build when Tiamat is your commander. Your commander is always your favorite legendary creature. And so players start with more life. Um, you can only use one of each card. So like you, you can't build your deck to do the same thing every time. So all of the games are a lot more different from each other. Um, there's the the decks are bigger there are 100 cards instead of 60 there and so the games are there's a little more time to develop they're never the same each time uh and there it's become a very popular way to sort of play with your friends and get everybody together as opposed to breaking out into a bunch of one-on-one games there's a, a sort of um a sense of identity that like a, con- a connection that you form with your commander in the same way that you do your D and D character. This is my commander deck. I identify with yeah. this in a personal way. And that feels very D and D, right? That feels very much like, yeah, that does. Uh, the experience people have when building their first character, uh, except they're just building this deck and this army. Uh, you know, if you want to bring that metaphor into it, uh, to, to play against each other. But this is the first time I've heard that it's not necessarily about, uh, winning, right? Like, uh, how, how does that work and play out? Like, is there teams? Can you do it that way? You you could. I mean, you, you can kind of do it however you and your friends want. And, like, you could try it. Like, typically games are a free-for-all, but you could try, hey, let's do, you know, you and me, like, you, Greg, you and I against Shelly and James. And, like, we could see if that's fun. And if it is, maybe we'll play again or maybe we'll change the teams for next time or maybe we'll go back to a free-for-all. Um. The, the, the thing about where, where it's not sort of all about winning, like somebody does win in the end, but I would, at least the people with whom I play Commander the most, like it, it, it's more impressive to us if you do something epic and awesome in order to win, as opposed to like, oh, I got this like Goldberg combo going hmm. and one shot the entire table out of nowhere. Like that's, we all, we all know that that can be done and it's not very interesting. Um, and so, 
And, and that's kind of like caught on throughout a lot of the format. Um, Sheldon Mennery, who's one of the folks who invented the commander format, actually, like when he's playing with his friends, if somebody assembles some infinite combo, they're just like, okay, you won. That's nice. The rest of us are going to finish the game now. And then typically people don't infinite combo him very often. Um, and, 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 and it's just kind of more fun. Like, it's, it's not the kind of format where it's fun to maximize how to win, kind of like D&D itself, right? Like, you can build the most hyper-optimized character that's very good at doing some specific thing. Like, I played a lot of third edition where um, the 10-foot spiked chain was just, like, very good because of some quirk of the attack of opportunity rules. And, like, typically your DM got tired of that and was like, okay, that doesn't work that way anymore. You can change your character if you want, but I've had enough of this. Um, and I'm and that's kind of how rust a lot of commander players are. <laughs> right yeah um and so the, there's there's a lot of emphasis these days on, especially in commander on you know let's let's make sure the game's fun for everybody let's not just try to all be the most competitive all the time because you know if you want that you can go play a tournament that's that's not what the commander is there for that's great and uh, yeah. james let me ask you this do you think that the commander format would be more uh, palatable to a D&D fan uh, for a first round if they wanted to try out magic or like, oh, let me try this Adventures of the Forgotten Realms. Would Commander be something they would be interested in? I think so, for sure. I mean, um, partly because you can just go and buy a pre-constructed Commander deck and the, the Commander decks for Adventures of the Forgotten Realms, um, the the face cards of the five decks, four decks, four decks. five decks, four decks uh, are concepted as members of an adventuring party. Um, oh. who, who get into a fight over distributing treasure or something, but, um, <laughs> but each one also has a face monster in it. So you might decide to make that your commander instead. Um, but so, yeah, you can go and, and buy a deck and sit down and play right away. Um, when I left the D and D team and went and joined the magic team, the creative team, uh, world building folks on the magic side played commander every week. And so that's really how I got deeply immersed into magic when I, when I started working on it. Um, so I think it is a format that's pretty friendly to D and D players. And almost pretty friendly to new players in general, just because do you yeah. kinda, it's almost like a co. Yes. With a caveat <laughs> that sometimes <laughs> the games can be pretty complicated because yeah. you're making a deck of a hundred cards. Uh, you're working with, potentially cards from the whole history of magic. And sometimes yeah. like if you're not playing with a pre-constructed deck, somebody can bring cards to the table that just blow your mind and don't do what's <laughs> printed on the card because the rules have been updated six times. And it, it can be a little overwhelming, but usually in a good way. Yeah. And the, the thing that's great about commander too, is that like you by far the easiest way to learn magic is by playing with someone. Um, yeah. Because sort of like D and D, like the the rules kind of have this holistic system, and trying to trying to understand every part in turn is is just really tough. And so it's like you really just want to start playing a couple of games to to see what's going on. And if you're playing one of the one on one formats, like the person you're learning from is also your opponent, so it's kind of awkward, right? Like you have this hand of cards that you know you're supposed to keep hidden, but you don't know how they work, and so you have to ask your opponent, and then it's just awkward. But in Commander, you know, you can ask one of your opponents and they'll be like, okay, here's how that works. And like, maybe you should do this to that other thing. And like, typically, you know, they'll be like, hey, here's how you could go wreck that other person. But that that's fine, right? And they'll, uh, everybody will kind of understands 
that you're new and they'll sort of be like, okay, here's how this card works. And even if it's weird and quirky, they'll be like, your intuition is probably that this works this way, but actually it works the other way and it's fine. And typically like, you know, your friends typically won't just turn around and gang up on you because you're the new person. Um, <laughs> more often than not, they'll leave you alone for a while. That's that's good too. And you can just <laughs> kind of develop. And you can also see what's going on and see other people take their turns before you have to do anything. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to go back to the whiteboards again because I'm really wishing I saw these whiteboards. But uh, this will be this is a question for both of you. Um, James, you can go first. Were, was there anything that made it into the game before you actually started playtesting and developing it that you were like, no way, that's never going to work, and you were surprised that it did? And then conversely, anything that you thought would absolutely be an easy to slot into magic, and it actually did not? Yeah, I don't oh, know. okay. <laughs> Um, Any surprises though that you were like, "Gosh, that really does work well in this game," or not, or maybe again something that you thought would have worked but didn't, couldn't translate over. Or we'll save it for the next Magic D and D set. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. There's not a lot that didn't work. That's surprising. Right. The, the the main thing for the or for not. the Adventures in the Forgotten Realm set is we had just finished Zendikar Rising when we were really getting into the swing of Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. Zendikar Rising actually has a mechanic around being a party of adventurers, uh, where if you if you have a fighter, a warrior and rogue cleric and um, wizard, that's good for you. Uh, <laughs> and we were like, oh, we can port that into Adventures in the Forgotten Realms very easily. And it, it turned out that no, we couldn't. Um, because we had just done it and it was very challenging to do again so quickly in a way that felt fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that the nature of the adventuring parties uh, had to be more organic of like, your adventuring party is whatever creatures you happen to have in play at the time, not cards that say, look at the characters in your party right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, that, that kind of rising. Go on. Sorry, in Zendikar Rising, um, a whole lot of creatures had to be members of those four classes. And we had yeah. other classes we wanted to represent and a whole bunch of monsters we had to get into the set. And and the party mechanic, as it was expressed in Zendikar Rising, just wouldn't have worked in, in this context. Right, because you couldn't make yeah. a flum full You had to have your call a wizard and sorcerer a... in a way that satisfies nobody. <laughs> Except me. <laughs> I'm okay with that. But I get it. You didn't make the set for me. Um, but yeah, so a uh, lot in here. Oh, go on. Another thing that I keep thinking about, and I, I haven't brought it up because I can't remember how it resolved, but I remember <laughs> a conversation uh, sitting around talking about making a card called 50 Feet of Rope because that's so iconic. I'm pretty sure we did end up with a we card did called make a card 50, 50 Feet of Rope. Feet of rope. Um, but like... I went and, and looked at translations of the player's handbook to see, is that going to be 15 meters of rope? Does that have the same kind of resonance? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know how the card has been translated, but um, we did make the card. Hmm. Oh, awesome. sure. Yeah. I, I never thought about what the implication of that would be for other languages. 
I ended up on a whole deep dive into how height and weight tables are translated in different languages that sent me in a, down a rabbit hole for an afternoon. And then you're like, the metric system should be in D&D. <laughs> <laughs> you never know where game design will lead you in an afternoon. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, so what's been uh, the most exciting thing uh, aspect, whether it's a specific card or or something that you're like, man, I you know, similar to Shelley's question, we're like, I'm so glad we were able to get this in, um, in a way that felt satisfying. Uh, and Max, I'll throw that to you first. As far as what's something that you know you're you're happy about, and we'll worry about you know previews and all that stuff later. But yeah, I I, I just love all the dragons. Actually, um, all I was. I was really fascinated with all of the different types of dragons in D&D when I was a kid mm-hmm. um, because it made them seem even even larger than life. And, and so in the Adventures of the Dragon, like it's not those dragons if you don't have a bunch of dragons. And so we do. Um, and so we got to, you know, we got to make the red, white, blue, green, and black dragons. Um, we've got a bunch of legendary dragons, most of whom you're familiar with from other D&D books or campaign settings or whatever. Um, and then we've got a, a couple extra dragons that are just cool. And then all of those dragons have super cool borderless versions that look mm. totally awesome. And they're every, I've been um, opening a bunch of packs recently to, to check that everything got printed correctly. And every time I have one of those, I'm like, this, this, this is just completely awesome. I'm completely thrilled that we were able to, to make those kinds of cards. It just makes the, Teenage me, very happy. <laughs> the teenage you, I imagine, playing D and D and Magic had no idea that this could be a job one day. <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, that's that's <laughs> true, actually. Um, oh, cool! And it's cool that you're you're opening the packs and you're getting excited as a fan, which maybe is yeah. like a benefit to working on something so many years ago. You forget. I forgot we did that. It's fresh and new. Right. Yeah, and it's like you know you've. Um, I never ever imagined when I was a teenager that that one day my job would be opening magic packs and it would be pretty boring because you have to painstakingly catalog everything you open to make sure that, that <laughs> yeah. that's correct. That but but every time you, you you know you pull up in these cards, it's like, oh right, there's this. It's awesome. Um, and then it, it's, it's exciting. You're just like a kid again. That's awesome. So my feeling like a kid again thing with this set is um, the Booster Fun cards. Uh, Tom Jenkott, who was the art director for the Booster Fun, um, managed to get in touch with some really old school D&D artists to do a couple of pieces on these cards. And I'm just, I'm, I'm stunned. I'm completely in awe and I can't wait until we get to show those things off and reveal some of those names. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, I, I've, cool. I've seen those as well and been like, oh my gosh, you've got that person and that person. Beep. I remember those. It's great. Yeah. Uh, that is going to be a super fun thing for folks who have been playing D&D since, you know, first edition. What a cool idea. Yeah. There's like yeah. 50 cards that are done that have special alternate art versions that are done in the style of the old monster manuals and kind of like the line drawings. And they look, oh, they look I saw the, They're really the beholder. Really cool. And in some cases, cool. illustrated by the same people. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. Lots of history to draw from there. 
Um, and James, you mentioned the art a couple of times, and I, I think that's something that you know we we could we could really delve into here because I think there's something interesting about uh, what you said about like how D and D art in some ways is supposed to illustrate not necessarily uh, a, a feeling, but a you know here's where you're you're going to have to describe something in a in a scientific way, uh, and with magic it's 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 more about the action I almost feel like you know trying to get those you know, it's kind of those those bigger illos that show up uh, in D and D books that kind of show the feel of of what the game or the or the adventure is trying to convey, um, but then you had to create you know 260 of those, uh, and uh, was there was there <laughs> ones that you you know any specific artist or things or art direction that you wanted to call out um, to get people excited about popping these open just like Max is excited about popping them open. Um. I will just shout out Zach Stella as the art director for the uh, the main set. Um, yeah. He did a, a fantastic job and got ama- amazing work from our artists. But I mean, like my favorite part of working on the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica and Mythic Odysseys of Theros was we had tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars of art to choose from to put into these books. Um, and to be able to uh, commission new pieces of the D&D art that I dream of. There's also a lot of, I guess not as much as I, as I remember, but like um, I was working with the, the old core rule books next to me and, and threw in a number of homages to classic D&D art. Um, let me just say there's a sphere of annihilation illustration that is strongly reminiscent of an illustration in the first edition Dungeon Master's Guide. That's awesome. I was like, do this, but modern. <laughs> oh. Exciting. Do I'm artists wrong. appreciate uh, line readings like that? Are they like, or, <laughs> or are they like actors? Or like, you can't tell me what to do, how to do my job. <laughs> I need the right degree of direction is important in concepting art. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that could be a whole podcast in itself, actually. Yeah, for it's sure. The art commissioning process. We have heard that from, uh, you know, from, from D&D lead art uh, designers as well, too, where like that, that art description, you know, it's only five or six sentences at most, uh, but you got to convey what the, you know, composition is. And that's, that's a special skill that I think, don't think a lot of people think about when they think about like, hey, I want to get into writing D&D books or making magic cards, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Amazing. Sweet. Well, we're excited about uh, this, and hopefully one day uh, there'll be a Adventures in the Forgotten Realms source book uh, from D&D, so you can kind of play in this D&D world. Uh, <laughs> we're just going to keep going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> Are you writing up the plane shift for this one, James? Nope. <laughs> uh, but, but I can offer you the Sword Coast Adventures guide. <laughs> There it is. It's got there so much go. fun stuff in it, too. Uh, awesome. Well, I again, I can't wait. Uh, July 22nd is when folks will be able to get the uh, uh, physical cards uh, for this, and they'll be in uh, Magic Arena as well for uh, folks who have been loving playing that on their phones or uh, on their PCs uh, in various ways. Super accessible in that way. And uh, I hope even just by us talking about Commander that more D&D fans might want to get into that format and, and check out uh, some of these fun things, you know, as, a, as not a substitute, but just as an uh, a, a additional activity that your D&D or, or board gaming group can do uh, 
on, on a weekly basis. Yeah, ma magic was actually originally invented to play while you're waiting for your D&D group to show up or your uh, thing to fire at Origins. That chocolate was just sitting next right. to that peanut butter oh, for, for 25, 30 years before James Wyatt finally decided to <laughs> mix it in there. Before I tripped and got my chocolate <laughs> and somebody's jar peanut butter. That's <laughs> how and the best the games are made. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I'm just glad that there was no one on the fourth floor when you were asking people so that they couldn't. I know. Around. He's probably like walking around to like finance, HR, like, you know. <laughs> He didn't really ask any of the business people. <laughs> hey, do you like these two things together? What do you think? <laughs> Who could say well, no to James Wyatt to his face anyway? Sure, that's mean. my Appreciate secret superpower. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, okay. thanks both of you for your work on this. Uh, yes. you know, bring back the thanks to all the teams uh, for putting this together. It's, it's a culmination of a lot uh, for Wizards of the Coast, and, and we're really happy about it. And I think you might have... Rolled a 12, so pretty good. That's not bad. <laughs> All right. Why don't I have dice next to me? What is wrong with me? I don't know, James. Now that you're back on the D&D team, you got to have a D20 ready to go. Put, put those spin downs away and pull out those D20s. <laughs> they are not the same thing. Awesome. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks, I'm guys. Very excited. James and Max rolled with advantage and are creating magic sets. I like it. I That's have nothing thing, to add right? to that. Yeah. That was fun. So fun. Um, I actually feel like I might I might get back. I might play a game of magic. You want to play a, a commander deck with I, me? Let's do it. Yeah, but I mean, I, I'm going to need some serious coaching. I remember. Maybe it'll come back to me. I don't know. Well, I do have this table right here that's custom made for playing with lots of fun people. And now that we're vaccinated and able to do some of that stuff more often, let's come play. Let's do it. I know that um, Bart would play too. He's got lots of cards. Okay. Let's make it happen. I know I Edna would do it as well. Oh, we got, then we gotta, I'm in. Got, then I'm 100% right in. Um, but I'm definitely going to need to get that Tiamat card. Yeah. Yeah, I think you do. Yep. We'll just say we give it to you, all right? You can have Tia, Matt. Okay. All right. Thank you. Done. I like it. Uh, so, yeah, great stuff. Looking forward to Adventures of the Forgotten Realms. Uh, I'll probably end up playing it a lot more in Arena, uh, and uh, that is coming in July, uh, but everyone should be able to get the paper card game on July 22nd, so jump in and get ready, D&D fans. Ready. Sweet. We have so many fun announcements that we've been doing over the last few uh, weeks, and we're gearing up for even more for D&D Live. Again, you can watch that on all of our uh, Twitch and YouTube channels. Uh, so those that you follow and love, um, they're also available on all the G4 Twitch and YouTube channels. Plus, you can watch it on Peacock, so download that app on your phone if you want to stream that. The VODs will be available on all those platforms. And heck, we might even have any more, more ways to uh, pay attention to fun folks playing Dungeons and Dragons uh, together and finding out all about the new fun things coming from uh, D&D over the next few months. Lots of good stuff still to Live. come. Jack Black. That's Jay and Silent Bob. Reggie Watts. Reggie Watts. No, I know. I was trying to think of the, the special guest. I guess that didn't really come across with my mumbles, but who cares? I know what you, I heard it though. You, you felt it. I know the undertones. 
<laughs> Maybe you can decode that. Everyone's going to slow that down and be like, huh, Yeah, I think that's a good guess. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Excited for that, uh, as well as the D&D celebration coming in September. Uh, mark your calendars for September 24th through the 26th. Yep. You'll be able to play a lot more. Dungeons and Dragons, uh, especially Wild Beyond the Witchlight themed Dungeons and Dragons in many different languages. Uh, and yeah. celebrate the release of France, Italian, German, and Spanish versions of the core rule books and the Essentials Kit coming out on September 24th, too. So international fans get psyched for that. Heck yeah. Crack open that book and join us at D&D Celebration, where nice. we'll be crowning our Dungeon Master Challenge winner excellent follow along on twitter wizards underscore dnd uh also on instagram with that moniker and like us on the facebooks download dragon plus to your phones to get all these updates you can follow me at greg tito on twitter and greg underscore tito on instagram you can follow me at shelly moo on twitter and instagram and to old moms t-w-o old moms on instagram yeah Shout out, as always, to Lisa Carr and Ryan Marth for putting together Dragon Talk. It was great to see their faces during our 300th episode. I loved having them there. I did, too. It was really sweet. Um, I wish we had more time. And this show wouldn't be the same without them. Uh, No, the show wouldn't be without them. props wherever you can. Uh, And don't forget to reach out if you have any questions or comments. Uh, Information about how to do that is in the show notes. And we can't wait to hear from you, fans of Dragon Talk. We love you. We love Man, you. Dragon talk. But Drunky, does Drunky love you? Yep. You know what Drunky loves? Fighting. I was going to say wine. But and wine. <laughs> she likes it looks like I'm all out of wine. Fight. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Do this. Awesome. So, um, quick recap. Drunky was uh, in the north ward of Waterdeep, had convinced a cleric of Lethander to cast Speak With Dead on a deceased doppelganger. And then the door started hammering in. Doppelgangers began attacking uh, through the door and Drunky had the bright idea to trap their arms who had burst through the door and tie them up with a rope. They're now trapped there. And then you heard a stern voice that sounded remarkably like your brother, Daryl Tushu, say, hey, get away from there. Um, and uh, following up to that, you hear uh, more kind of inarticulate screams and growls uh, from the doppelgangers as uh, blows uh, are heard outside the door. Okay, I'm going to run to the window and see what I see. You see... Uh, your brother Daryl, dressed uh, exactly how you remember him, uh, walking through the streets of Waterdeep, uh, not an hour or two ago, um, stabbing these figures uh, around the door uh, with his longsword. That doesn't seem like to, okay. I'm. Can I jump out of this window? Sure. I'm gonna jump out of the window and I'm gonna go. Uh, how do I use this amulet? Uh, you're wearing it, right? So yes. you're seeing um, the, these particular uh, doppelgangers don't seem like they're modified from their original shape, but you look at uh, the person that looks like Daryl, and it looks like Daryl. Oh, my God. Okay. 
Um, and he sees you jump out the window and says, oh, hey, sis, what are you doing? For God, Daryl. What? Can I, can I help him in this fight? Yes. Uh, so um, yeah, there's, there's still, there's two that are struggling that have uh, kind of been dispatched, but one of them is kind of up and he's got a, uh, uh, what looks like a big hammer. Okay. I, can, I, I, can I throw some acid on them? Do a little yeah. acid splashing? Do an acid splash. Uh, okay. How do I do it? What do I do here? Oh, I, do you have to save or anything? I think with acid splash, you roll a uh, ranged attack, right? 60 feet. It says attack save. I haven't done this in so long. Is it, do you, I think I forgot how to play D&D. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Oh, no, I take a dexterity saving throw. Yeah, 13. Uh, and I make it. Uh, I think I'm God. a successful. What? Why? What's your spell you... save DC? 13. Yeah, Wait, I, got, I got a 14. For this, so. for this spell, yes. Okay, if you choose two, they must be. Yeah, so uh, he dodges out of the way of your acid splash. Um, and then Daryl rolls and he fails. Oh, I um, didn't mean to get him. <laughs> and then uh, the doppelganger tries to swing his axe at you. Uh, sorry, his big hammer at you, uh, uh, drunky, and misses. Thank God. Yeah, so big crash. You see kind of the cobblestones uh, pop up, uh, loosened uh, by the big blow. And then Daryl says, don't worry, I'll take care of it. And he, nope, does not. He misses. <laughs> I, yeah, Daryl, just chill here, okay? I might go with, can I go again? Yeah, Are we, your turn. Like I can just start rolling? Yeah. Uh, we're doing, I'm, there's still two of them? There's one, well, yeah, two of them are kind of incapacitated. Uh, it looks like uh, Daryl took those guys out, but there's one more left. Oh, there's only one left? Yes. Um, then I will hit him with a firebolt. Firebolt. Range attack. Okay, ready? Yes. I rolled a one. You rolled a one! Uh, like a, like a, a natural one, huh? Like a natural one. But All I right, have a so bonus. So your firebolt shoots so got, out, like, hits Daryl uh, right between the eyes, and he goes, ah, damn it, what? why'd you hit me? I didn't mean to. <laughs> have you been... Did you take the communion wine from that cleric? I've been very stressed out lately, Daryl. Here, <laughs> I give him a sip of my flask. Uh, and he's like, wait, not right now. We got to kill this doppelganger. <laughs> okay, then I take a big swig and continue. Nice. All right, well, we'll pick it up uh, with Drunky Two-Shoes living up to her name. Know it. Yeah, yeah. Cheers to that, my friend. Cheers, Drunky. Drunky.